What messages have you received about emotions throughout your life? Was it suggested that feelings are negative, positive? Have you ever been encouraged to just sit with them or told that emotions can be helpful and that it's possible to manage them? Most of us have been bombarded with negative message about emotions throughout our lives. Maybe you were told to stop crying or punish for acting out. Maybe you were told that showing feelings meant that you're weak, or perhaps it was insinuated that your emotions take up too much space. Children who receive negative messages about emotions start to internalize those messages and often grow up into adults who have emotions but don't know how to handle them. Newsflash, everyone. Minimizing, overlooking, or straight up ignoring our emotions does not work. We can't avoid them forever. And if we push them down, it's only a matter of time before they pop up again. Not to mention, there's no cheat code to be able to taper an unpleasant emotion and creating the emotional suppression habit can cause us to become disjointed from our emotions altogether. Yep, that includes happiness. Sometimes we push away our emotions so far that the hold they have over us actually grows stronger. And sometimes this energy suppression causes other health issues that are actually much more challenging than the original emotion itself. From a mental wellness perspective, we all have emotions and we could all benefit from learning how to better understand and regulate them. Instead of learning how to get around them, what if we accept that they will pop up and empower ourselves to learn how to handle them instead? If we choose this path, we can improve our coping, well-being, relationship satisfaction, and resilience, all by developing our emotional intelligence. Hi, I'm Dr. Shana, and I'm a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate. I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to the mental wellness practice. In this episode, we are exploring what emotional intelligence is and practical tips that you can use to boost your EQ. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only. And if you're struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. For more information, check out the show notes, connect with me at drshana.com or on Instagram at drshana. Thanks for choosing to learn and grow with me. Before we take a closer look at emotions, I'd like to give you a little background into why this dive is going to be intentional and worthwhile for your mental well-being. There are lots of different schools of thought when it comes to mental health. Lots and lots of varying perspectives, theorists, opinions, you name it. And you probably know this because this is also part of the problem that makes mental health so intimidating is what is intended to be a variety of different perspectives that can help us better understand our more unique individual mental health from person to person just becomes really daunting. 
I know I can relate to that deeply because when I was in grad school learning to come, become a mental health counselor, we're encouraged to look at all these theories and I was just so overwhelmed. So many seem like they have merit and you can be drawn to them, but then also the idea that there's this one size fits all process just seems to really go against the concept of mental health since mental health is subjective from person to person. So anyway, I digress. I'm sharing this because I don't want you to become too overwhelmed by figuring out all these different theorists and models. I do think that's really important if you are in the field with me. So if you are a counselor, a social worker, psychologist, psychiatrist, medical professional, I do think it is important. And if you are inquisitive and it's not your direct field and it's not intimidating to you, by all means, take a deep dive somewhere. It's not gonna be in this episode though. I don't want us to get so bogged down by the theorists and the methods and the models that we lose sight of some of these tangible components instead. So I'm sharing with you more of a perspective in the next three episodes that are three corresponding components that are common across many models, um, but you'll see them most notably in cognitive therapies. For those of you that are curious and want to delve deeper, that'd be therapy such as mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, just to name a few. Um, but again, <laughs> if that already kind of turns you like, oh gosh, I don't want to hear that, then that's okay because I'm here to speak with you directly still about more of these components without having to get too bogged down with the theorists, the methods, and all of that good stuff. So in the next few sessions, you can think of them simply as the mental wellness triangle, three corresponding components that interrelate and fit that definition of mental health. So as you know, today, we're going to be looking at emotions, including our feelings and experiences. And in the next episode, we are going to be exploring thoughts, including assumptions, perceptions, values, beliefs. And after that, we'll be exploring interactions, including how you react, respond, and behave, as well as connect with yourself and others. I'm separating them here to make it easier to comprehend but please remember that these are all so interconnected and it, it is that interconnection that comprises mental health. As we look into these concepts, perhaps you'll start to see how they influence one another and the quality of your life. My hope is that this mini series can offer you a simple model to help you self-check your mental well-being, including how far you've come and how you can continue to grow. Emotional intelligence helps you become more aware and tactful in handling your own emotions as well as the emotions of others. You'll hear me emphasize a lot throughout these episodes that tending to your mental health can help you and it can help others too. And emotional intelligence is a really great example of that. 
lot of times we believe that tending to ourselves means we're taking from someone else, but that really is not the case because when we are fostering our emotional intelligence, it gives us abilities like improved empathy, compassion, connection, and we really need that to better connect with others especially in times of struggle, whether we're the ones struggling or whether it's someone else or whether we're both struggling. So emotional intelligence and trying to develop that is key, not only for yourself, but for others too. The most commonly used model of ability of emotional intelligence is the four branch model. And this was created by Meyer Caruso and Salovey. I am not going to go too far into depth about the model here, but I did link an article in the show notes for those of you who do want to delve a little bit deeper, or even if you are just interested in some scholarly SAS where the authors critique some of the more popular and what they believe are misunderstood beliefs of what emotional intelligence is. So in this episode, though, I mentioned the model, of course, to give credit to the researchers, but also for you to know that the tips that we're going through are grounded in the four branch model and the overall belief that an emotional intelligent individual is able to one, perceive, two, convey, three, comprehend, and four, regulate emotions effectively. So this is a really great opportunity for a checkpoint. Thinking about those four branches, how would you assess your emotional intelligence in this moment? If you're hoping to boost your emotional intelligence, self-reflection is critical. You have to create a habit of checking in with your own feelings. Let's try that right now. Within the last day, what emotions have you experienced? Maybe you want to pause and try to check that in before we continue, or perhaps you want to heed some of these insights first. Know that this check-in can be as brief or as in-depth as you like. And also it's per the context, right? So right now it might need to be brief, but perhaps tomorrow, later, the next week, you can take the time that you need to do a more in-depth check-in. The context matters. You might just list off a few things, or you might delve deeper into each emotion that you experienced, including what prompted that feeling and what followed after. Sometimes, especially if you are short in time, and pressed for time, you might just do a mental check, right? Okay, I felt this, this, and this. Okay, noted. And trust me, that might seem like it's nothing, but it is better than nothing. And it is not to be confused with nothing. I promise you, that is definitely better than not doing any self-reflection at all. But other times, if you have the opportunity, I encourage you to jot them down. Maybe you keep a notes tab in your phone that you kind of date and do some check-ins. If you are a pen and paper person like me, maybe you have a journal that you can check in with your emotions from time to time. If you have the opportunity to check in and have some written form, whether it's typed, whether it's written, um, if you have something tangible that you can refer back to, 
that can be really helpful because it helps you to notice patterns over time. Now, of course, you might recognize, hmm, I've been saying this emotion for the last five mental check-ins I've done each day this week, but it is, of course, easier to see trends if it is written. So that is a bonus to taking the time to reflect through writing. Say, for example, you step back and you look at your check-ins for the month and you realize, wow, there's a, a trend here. I've been feeling really helpless and hopeless. To really sit with and recognize that it helps you to be responsible, accountable, and in many ways, it helps you to intervene and act on whatever is causing the issue. You might also notice the opposite side of the spectrum as well. You might say something like, hmm, I'm noticing within the past week that my mood tends to be better towards the end of the day. What's going on there? So it can give you insights for things you want to check into further. It's also helpful to note that having the habit keeps you prepped and ready for the moments in which your emotions are challenged, running high, and you need to do a quick check-in. So think about these emotion check-ins kind of like the exercise and the conditioning. And when the going gets rough, that means that you have refined your skill set. Those emotion muscles have been flexed, conditioned, they're ready, they're prepped, and you are capable and then able to better intervene with your emotions as well. Familiarize yourself with basic emotions. A lot of times when I share with folks that it's going to be critical for them to self-reflect in order to boost emotional intelligence and therefore try this easy, takes less than five minutes a day task of emotion check-ins, people are like, okay, no big deal. That sounds easy. I've had emotions my whole life. This is not a problem. But when it comes time to pinpoint the emotions, you'd be surprised how easy it is for folks to run blank. And I think that happens to any of us at any given time or another, but it certainly happens more often if our emotional intelligence is lacking. So I think if you are struggling in that area, that's why it's helpful to start with the foundational emotions. I encourage you to consider the seven universal emotions. This comes from Paul Ekman's pioneering work in the study of emotions. And I think this is helpful because no matter who you are and where you're from, these emotions have been studied deeply as consistent across all cultures. So it's helpful to start with these as the basics. And this is also another really great moment for us to pause because before I even tell you what those are, especially if you don't know Paul Ekman's work, what do you think those are? The seven universal emotions are anger, disgust, fear, happiness, sadness, contempt, and surprise. I wonder how many of those that you got right. Now, when I think about right, know that this is because it's studied and therefore these are seven universal ones. The ones that you came up with that aren't on the list are still good emotions to note. So keep those in your basic human emotions. That's important as well. 
I am going to link this in the show notes because if you have any interest in practicing, not only recognizing these emotions for yourself, including when you feel them, how often you feel them, potentially seeing if you're able to recognize them in others, specifically in facial expressions. There's a really neat reference on this website that can help you to see different folks' faces and expressions of the emotions. So you can kind of test yourself in that way. If you have anyone else in your life who is interested in boosting emotional intelligence alongside you, this could be a nice little partnership game to play too of you guys can create some flashcards or just randomly select which emotion and practice displaying and guessing them. Expand your emotional vocabulary. The seven universal emotions are a great way for a basic start when you're introducing yourself to the process of boosting your emotional intelligence. But I promise you that those are unlikely to cover the depth of your emotional experience or of anyone else's. So you're going to want to refine your emotional vocabulary. Think about it. A word like angry. It's not inaccurate if you're feeling irritated, frustrated, annoyed, rage, or wrathful. But there's something about pinpointing that specific feeling that's really helpful. For one, there is an intensity aspect to it. There is an added context to it. And many times there's also an overlapping other emotion that helps you find that intersection in the emotional experience. Because remember, it's really common for us to experience more than one emotion at the same time. So for resources, there are lots of emotion lists out there. In the self-love workbook, there's one for those of you who have that resource. I also really like emotion wheels, and there's lots of these too. They're usually multicolored, so it's really appealing <laughs> visually. And it's also helpful to kind of refine. You know, we sometimes associate words with certain colors. Um, I was just using the example of anger, so I'll stick with that. You might say, okay, I'm opening up this wheel and I know that I'm somewhere in the red spectrum. I can feel it in me, but I'm not sure what emotion. And then you can zoom out from there. I have linked one of the feelings wheels in the show notes for you. And I really encourage you to keep that handy. I this is probably one of the most common resources I use for all of my clients, and I really find it helpful myself too. So I encourage you to use this wheel to start exploring your own emotions. It can pair really well with the emotional check-in, but also at any time when you're feeling really perplexed about your emotional experience in the moment and you're struggling to refine what feeling am I actually having or what emotions am I actually having? that can be really helpful. I know sometimes a lot of the personal exploration can be a bit overwhelming. And in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about that self-focus because it's a whole other thing. And we're thinking about other people's emotions and maybe we'll get to that in another episode, but I know it might be helpful and refreshing to shift your focus. So another example would be to use a show that you really like or a movie that you love 
And perhaps you try to keep that emotion wheel handy and make note of the emotions that you're seeing. You can even do this with a movie that you've seen dozens of times. It might even be more helpful because you have more experience of the scenes you're watching. But also it can be helpful to refine it to one character. This can also help you see a level of character development that perhaps you may not have seen before. When you are using the emotion wheel and when you are in general trying to expand your emotional vocabulary, think about the depth of the definition of each emotion. You wanna know what that emotion is for you and perhaps consider what it may mean for others too. Consider what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. So for example, what types of things do you say when you're embarrassed? What types of thoughts run through your mind when you're sad? How do you behave when you're irritated? And how does that differ from when you're enraged? Take a step back. When you're tuning into your emotions, give yourself an opportunity to pause and rewind. Ask yourself, how did I get here? Try to hunt for the triggers that may have contributed to your feelings. Did your friend's comment about your wardrobe strike a deeper chord than either of you would have expected? Are you truly angry at your partner for saying what's for dinner, or are you simply exhausted from an overwhelming day at work? Understanding where our emotions arise from and what evokes them is a crucial component to help you begin to manage and convey your emotions. When you notice your emotions, be willing to hunt for these triggers that may have propelled you into those specific feelings. Try using the sentence stem, I feel, fill in the blank, because, fill in the blank. I know that you may hear this stem and you might think that that sounds so rudimentary. And in some ways it is because it is a basic skill. However, I wouldn't consider overlooking it until you try it. The reason being, a lot of times when we are in the depth of our emotional experience, especially a passionate one, especially an overwhelming one, many times we think we understand the feeling and we actually don't. What we understand is the experience of the feeling, but then connecting that to a thought process, we usually just focus on that emotion altogether. So doing this STEM is really helpful for you to better understand the emotional experience, specifically what's causing it. If you're struggling with this, I encourage you to include this, if possible, in your emotional check-in so you can refine this specific muscle. And if that continues to be a challenge for you, then this could be a good sign for you to seek professional help to better develop your emotional intelligence. Being emotionally intelligent doesn't mean that you have to wear your emotions on your sleeves all the time especially if that's something that doesn't align with your personality. But there are times for all of us in which it's important to clearly communicate our emotions with others. We cannot keep our emotions bottled up forever and expressing them is really helpful in relieving the tension that we may experience mentally and physically. It's also really important to express our emotions in order to better clarify misunderstandings have healthier communication, and set better boundaries. So consider who your safe people are. 
These are the people that you can answer honestly with when they ask how you're doing. Maybe it's your roommate, a friend, partner, a therapist, or peers in a support group, but it's essential that we all have at least one person. These are also the people who can help lend not just a helpful ear or a shoulder, but might also give us some practical insight in the times that we are struggling to better understand our emotions too. That support system can help us fill the gap. Most of us were led to believe that emotions should be minimized, suppressed, or altogether avoided, and that's actually quite unhealthy. The aim is to better be able to manage our emotions instead. If we think back to episode three, where we talked about stress, and if you didn't listen to episode three, this is a good opportunity for you to pause, go back and pop back over here. But in that episode, we talked about stress and the need to better cope. Emotions are actually cues that we're experiencing stress or an imbalance. Sometimes that imbalance is good, you stress, and other times that imbalance can feel unpleasant, distress. Emotions are cues to better understand when we're off balance and also what we need to do to better move towards balance as well. So for all of our feelings, we should consider what works for us to help us move through those feelings. What are the coping skills that can help us better regulate? It's different from anxiety, sadness, happiness, disgust. So spend some time thinking about what are the skills that work for you in each of those areas, and especially for the primary emotions, but also for the emotions that you experience the most. There's a different way to handle each, and it's important for you to know subjectively what works for you. That also includes knowing what's your limit for each. So while our aim is not to avoid our emotions, there will be times that we are overwhelmed and the emotion in a given moment, is it seems more like the emotion is too hard for us to handle in that present moment or in that context. Knowing your threshold, which is basically your personal boundary, helps you to better cope in that moment, but also know when you need to circle back to that feeling as well. So for example, if you are experiencing a little bit of nervousness or worry, you might be able to do some coping skills such as breathing, meditation, going for a walk, exercising, that may help in that moment. But if you're experiencing fully fledged panic, those skills may not work in that moment. And there may be one, a different set of skills that you may need, or two, a sign of knowing that threshold may also mean your willingness to recognize that you might need help as well. Emotions are a major component in the human experience. If we want to improve our well-being, it's essential to have a grasp on our emotional health. As we explored at the top of the episode, emotions are one tip of the mental wellness triangle. Join me in the next episode where we delve into the second point, thoughts. Thank you for learning and growing with me.